Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Craig Fritz. Craig, have you you and I have done a podcast before, correct? It's just been like 2016. Yeah, 2016. We did. You hosted the Minnesota Golden Gophers podcast. Yeah, Irv Charles represent. That's you know claim to fame. I think I I think I have told the story of that podcast story of that game but like i was working that day and i can only go for the first half so i left at halftime and on the walk from where i from the stadium to where i lived on allen street i pulled this thing out and me and pete former uh former blog member peter burks were in the dms talking about who we wanted to have those like the guys on our list to replace james franklin and it's actually quite applicable today because Pete's number one name for that was Jeff Brom. So everything uh, everything is coming a little full circle on this edition of the podcast. Of course, a little bit later, we're going to be talking uh, about Penn State's game against Purdue. It's season opener, finally here. Warm up a beer. We're watching some Nittany Lion football this week, folks. Uh, Nick uh, did an interview with Grant Tribbett of Big Time Boiler. You will hear that interspersed. Uh, uh, not not totally certain where, just because of how we're recording, but it will be before we get to the predictions portion of this podcast. We'll do a little preview, then Nick and Grant's interview will be there. But before we do anything else, we want to, uh, you know, big day in Happy Valley. James Franklin's first game week press conference came with some really big uh, news that Penn State's Number two quarterback heading into the season is none other than five-star true freshman uh, noted Medina battling B Drew Aller. Uh, he will have the job as the Nittany Lions head in to uh, West Lafayette this week. But Franklin made it a point to say it will be a thing that is determined on a week-by-week basis. So It's happening. It, 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 potentially, it's happening. <laughs> it potentially, it's happening. It's very important to stress, Craig, when you heard that new – when you heard Franklin uh, announce that, what kind of went through your head? Uh, I was extremely surprised. Um, and you say, like, okay, he must have made grand strides because – they were very tempered early on saying, you know, he was running third, fourth team. It was, you know, it was a battle for third, uh, Christian Bayer at the number two spot locked down. Um, so what's at play here? Like, did he just have a light switch go on? You know, everyone, he's a five-star recruit for a reason. Everyone knows that he has the arm talent, the foot talent, and maybe, maybe he put the, it together on the field and just, you know, had this meteoric rise in the last two weeks of practice. Maybe, maybe something else is going on. I don't know. Like, who, who knows? Maybe Veyer's dinged. Maybe it, it's it's really difficult to say. Maybe he straight up won a competition. I mean, it, it, I don't want to see <laughs> all this said. I don't want to see Drew Aller on the field in West Lafayette unless Penn State is absolutely cruising to victory. So, yes. um, you know, it it's a it's a big statement but hopefully uh it's it's not something that we need to see yeah i mean the 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 things that i found so interesting here uh number one was franklin made it a point to say that it's not set in stone for the entire season it's just right now drew hours penn state's backup quarterback um i think you agree with me craig that that's going to be barring something completely unforeseen 
the highest point that he is going to reach this season. I don't think either of us anticipate that. Again, barring injury, barring, you know, he, he, he wants to stay eligible for Social Security, whatever it is. Sean Clifford <laughs> is going to be Penn State's starting quarterback from the start of the season to the end of the season. Yeah, I would agree completely. Um, and even if there is a big injury, it will be, like we said, it's not set in stone. Franklin hedged that it's a week-to-week kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and by the time Ohio rolls around, Vare uh, may be the number two again. So Yeah, who knows? But the one thing that Franklin did say that I think got kind of lost in all of this was when he was asked why this is the case, he said it was because of the opinions of the coaches and then data that they have accumulated. And I'm, I'm just interested and, you know, we're not – in these press conferences, we're not going to the press availabilities because I live in Ohio. Craig, you don't live in Happy Valley. None of sure us don't. live in Happy Valley. Uh, I would love to know what those things are and how it can kind of be reconciled that he is the backup on a week-to-week basis. And also, this is based on the experience of professional football, co- uh, professional collegiate football coaches and the data that they have accumulated that helped them get to this decision. I, I, I'm, ju- I'm just interested in how those two things uh, coincide with one another. And, you know, it's very possible the way that they coincide is that they're not supposed to. He is going to be the second-string quarterback all year, or, you know, like you said, may- maybe something weird happens heading into it, in the week of practice, heading into the Ohio week, and they decide, all right, never mind, Christian's going to be number two in the death chart. Like, we just don't know what the case is. Well, it's so fascinating when he talks about data. Like, obviously, they have scrimmage data and practice data, and they all wear the activity trackers, and they obviously track the throws during practice and mm-hmm. how they're doing, whether um, Drew is leading you know, ones V ones or twos V twos or twos V ones or whatever it is in the two minute situation or the red zone situation. So they have all these data points, right? And is it like, um, are they tracking the wind speed and how his ball moves through the air and catchability and, you know, all these different. So, I mean, they're a week to week, like you said, a week to week thing is it's, it's fine to say, but you already have the most intense part of practice leading into the season that has occurred how many opportunities does if this is what he's saying how many opportunities does Veyer's data have to move beyond Aller's data and I don't know is it a James Franklinism or is is this a legit <laughs> thing so we'll see for sure and then uh before we get into uh talking about the boilers a little bit were there any other things that really stood out to you uh as you were like me sitting on your couch and scrolling well sitting on your couch or office chair wherever you were scrolling twitter and uh and seeing the things that franklin was saying today okay so um the other thing that he noted was uh tyler eldson is going to be the starting mike ahead of kobe king which we anticipated throughout camp they're though King is going to play a lot of football. Um, Franklin also named Barney Amore the starting punter, which sounded like there was maybe a three-way battle with Alex Pachetta and Gabe Wosu. Um, but Barney, recently on scholarship, handed out by Eli Manning, is going to week one as a starting punter. And the thing that I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. Um, he mentioned kickoffs that... It's going to be a rotating situation, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that means each kickoff during the game is going to be a rotation, or if 
they're going to keep rotating at practice to see who takes the job for week one. Oh, and he also said that uh, Jake Pinnegar would be the starting place kicker. Yeah, I, I, I have to imagine on kickoffs that's, you know, if you get hot, you're going to stay hot. You're not, you're not taking it out of the game thing. But they, like, I that, that's what I have to imagine it is. But also, like, if, you know, we have a situation. Like, was it Pinnegar two years ago? or three years ago, who was like really good at kicking the ball out of bounds at inopportune times. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe it's like one of those situ. maybe it's like one of those situations where like, just cause I can't fathom that if Sander Sahadek is booting the ball out of the end zone every time and preventing them from having returns and all that, that Gabe Wosu or, you know, vice versa uh, is going to happen. So like, they're then going to pull the dudes and then go, all right, you've done a really great job. We just want this other, like that would be a little weird, but it would be weird. Two um, things that stuck out. Go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was no, just going to say no, the, the last thing that was of note to me, and I just thought of it now is Franklin said they felt very comfortable with five wideouts in the room. We obviously know the starters are likely to be Mitchell Tinsley. Um, and oh my God, Parker, Washington, Parker, Washington, Keandre and Keandre Lambert Smith. And so then you have uh, assume uh, Mega Malik Mega and uh, Trey Wallace are the fourth and fifth guys. And so is it Caden Saunders? Is it Liam Clifford? Is it Jaden Dotton? Is it uh, someone, you know, that hasn't really been talked about? Because um, they said basically they want to, when it gets into a tempo situation that those, those six guys are important so they can, the starters can tap out when they need a blow and someone mm-hmm. else can come in and fill in those shoes. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, kind of going along those lines, something I thought was really important that Franklin mentioned was that they want to have on offense, a two deep at every single position and that they're close to getting their wide receivers kind of the position where they specifically need that. But Franklin spoke a lot about roster depth. The quote that he gave, uh, during the press conference, I think we've been in a much more similar role than we've been in terms of depth. Depth, uh, We've got much more depth than we've had in the previous two years for a number of reasons. I think depth breeds competition. I think competition, as long as it is done well, and I think Franklin generally handles competition well, is a really good thing. I think having options is a good thing. It lets you kind of you know, let's say you have a situation where it's Tyler Elsden and Kobe King battling for that middle linebacker role. You can say, you know, Tyler doesn't have it today. Kobe has it today. We're just going to roll with Kobe. But also, if Kobe doesn't have it the following week, we can go with Tyler. And just constantly be in one of those situations where if a guy's just not on their game that day, you can go to someone else. And I think that's really important, especially because, you know, you think of, say the wide receiver room, Penn state has two guys who seem like they are legitimate difference makers, a couple of guys who could be that. And then it's just about finding the rest running back. You have a number of options. there. offensive line, number of options there. Defensive line doesn't really have the kind of superstar guys that we know of, but they have so many bites at the apple that you can, you know, mix and match depending on the game. So I thought that was important. The other thing I thought was important was Franklin continues to talk about the offensive line and its success, he's being very tempered in it, in, in, very tempered in how he's discussing them, but he's spoken a lot, and I find this very interesting, Craig, in 
the ability of the running backs and what the running backs can potentially do and how that will help the offensive line. So you look at one of the, you know, tweets from uh, Onward State's sports account. He was, Franklin was talking about ways to help the offensive line succeed. And he said, one of the big ones is the investment in the running game. With the two freshmen, they've shown so far that they can help with that to take pressure off the passing game. It seems like the, the thing with the offensive line this year is that it is going to be better or it can be better in part because it has these two freshmen, Fat Man Allen, who Franklin said was one of the surprises of camp, and Nick Singleton, who is a ginormous talent coming in and taking a little bit of pressure off of them. So you don't have a situation where it's a guy like Kayvon Lee, who isn't the most decisive guy, a guy like Devin Ford, who is a nice player, but kind of lacks that next gear. I don't know about you, but when he's talking about the offensive line, and again, he's taking that pressure off by not talking about them, but he is talking about the talent they have in the running back room, particularly with these two true freshmen. Like that gets me excited. Definitely. I mean, for sure. Like you can go back to like, say journey Brown and whose career was unfortunately cut short um, due to a heart Mm -hmm. issue. Was that line superior to the line that we've had over the last two years or was journey Brown more adept at finding a hole, hitting the third gear, getting to the second level, Mm -hmm. carrying tacklers, being tough to take down. Um, I mean, you could even go back to Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders. When the talent at running back has been blue chip exemplary, Penn State has succeeded with, let's be honest, mediocre offensive line. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have Saquon got stuffed numerous times, but then also using his talent was able to turn nothing into 80 yard runs, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, so obviously the talent at tailback makes a big difference. And like you said, it can take pressure off that offensive line. Um, if someone misses a block, it's not going to necessarily kill the play 10 times out of 10, like it did last year or seemed to last year. Um, if, you know, Singleton has the wiggle to get past an unblocked defender, and and get to the outside or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, so much, so often when we talk about the running game and we talk about running backs, not just for Penn state and football in general, it is the talent that you have in your running back room won't really matter if your offensive line can't block anyone. It also kind of works the other way. Your offensive line is going to look worse if a running back can't make one guy miss. And I think Penn state has really lacked that since journey Brown had to uh, leave the program a little bit earlier than he would have liked. And as a result, we've seen a couple of really rough years. I think that has potential to change in a big way. I think the Purdue game is a potential first step towards that. We're going to talk about that Purdue game in a second, but first we want to take some time to thank the sponsor of this podcast, home field apparel. There are pods newest sponsor. If you were a college sports fan, if you have a, if you're a college sports fan with an internet connection, uh, one, if you are not that and you found this podcast, please, please reach out to me because I want to know how the hell you did that. <laughs> but if you are a college sports fan in the internet, you are almost certainly aware of Homefield Apparel. If you haven't seen them yet, Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. That last part's important. If you are an Indianapolis Colts fan who listens to this podcast, they just branched out and did some absolutely incredible Colts gear this week. That jacket in particular. Oof. Oof. Fancy. Shirts 
The shirts are comfortable. They're unique. While Very I'm saying this, Craig, Craig is going to model the one that he has oh, on. Here we go once Penn more. State select. We are... <laughs> I, uh, I wore that one around Columbus uh, the other day. So it's a very nice shirt. But it's very brash they, and bold. I like it. They take the time to make sure that the things that they put on their merchandise make you feel closer to your school. Just going through Homefield Apparel, their website, and looking at the t-shirts, you can see these designs are cool. They are unique. And they really are special in the sorts of things that they put the work in to make sure it's not something you can get from a knockoff third-party site or somebody else that's already making gear for a school. They had their uh, promo Big New Saturday where they would announce new schools and drop big uh, merch lines for them. Penn State, proud to say, won it because Penn State fans are both incredibly online and love the gear. There are 15 pieces of apparel and all in the collection. And if you are a new customer, whether you're buying Penn State gear, whether you're buying gear for another school, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, if you are a new customer to Home Field Apparel, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Let's talk about the Purdue Boilermakers. Let's do it. Purdue last year went nine and four, six and three in conference play. They won uh, the Music City Bowl over Tennessee in a really entertaining football game. Ended the year 35th in SP plus, 44th offensively, 25th defensively, and 107th in special teams. Entering this year, they are 34th in preseason SP plus, 45th offensively, 32nd defensively. The game kicks off at 8 p.m. on Fox, and we got their A crew folks uh, in Ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, and uh, I believe he called Gus calls her the All American Girl, Jenny Taft. I mean, before we even talk about the game itself, Craig, uh, I think you are like me and all of our other friends. And when last Penn State football season ended, just needed a little break. Need needed, a break. Uh, need, Step away. You know, just get. Make some a little distance between myself and uh, beloved alma mater football program. But as we've gotten closer, you know, once it hit 8 p.m. last Thursday, ever since then, I have just been fired up. I cannot wait for this football game. What about yourself? Oh man, like every year, it's it, it it's to me, it's better than Christmas. I don't. I mean, there's so much a change. I love the ro- roster management aspect. The recruiting's been fantastic, and we're just ready to see some uh, Nittany Lions get out there and smack around some boilermakers and score some points, score some touchdowns, get into this offense and uh, just get after it. Yes. It should be a really entertaining uh, football game. I mean, Jeff Brom has built up a really impressive thing out there in a, out there in West Lafayette. Brahms a guy who's been linked to a million different jobs, it seems like, over the years. Somehow has not left for any of them, particularly uh, Louisville, which for some reason hasn't just given him whatever they want uh, to be his head coach. But in his time uh, at Purdue since taking over in 2017, a 28-29 record and a 20-22 and mark in conference play, but that really is bogged down by one, four, and eight campaign again last year very very respectable uh football team that he's put together out there um craig let's just start with two quick questions before we get into nick's interview uh with grant tribbett of big time boiler which is what is the thing that you are keeping your eye on in this game when penn state has the football i mean we really touched on it right i want to see a competent running game that 
can move the ball forward and highlights the talent that we've all talked about Franklin being an ace recruiter. They've got these guys. We want to see them deployed. Right. And I, I mean, I'm fascinated on offense specifically. Mitchell Tinsley had a ridiculous statistical season at Western Kentucky last year, comes in as a grad transfer and I'm not expecting him to go for 88 and 88 catches and, you know, whatever he had down there that was just insane. But um, I want to see if he's the real deal next to Parker Washington, who might be my favorite Penn State wide receiver in 20 years. Really? Here's the thing. And I talked to Nick about this previously. Parker's not a huge dude. I'm not a huge dude. So for me to project <laughs> someone that is kind of my, my size doing the things that he does with his catch radius and his cut ability and his ability to take on uh, contact and still get positive yards. It's, it's a joy to watch. I love watching him. His route running is awesome. Um, yeah. So let's go Parker. And it's sad. Yeah, I, I couldn't even remember his name earlier when we were going through the starting wideouts, but you know, <laughs> I have four kids and I'm very tired. So it, it's, it's okay. I mean, the interesting thing for me is that Purdue's defense brings back eight starters, but they lost. I would argue the three best players from its defense, obviously lost George Karloftis, their gigantic defensive end. I, uh, went in either the first or the uh, second, I, I believe the first round of the draft, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, was a blue chip recruit, had four and a half sacks for them last season, uh, led the team in forced fumbles and fumble recoveries, just a really big, nasty physical presence along their defensive line. They also lost their top tackler, Jalen Alexander, 113 tackles, one sack, five pass deflections to the NFL, and their second best tackler, or second most productive tackler, safety by the name of Marvin Grant, transferred to Kansas, 76 tackles on the season. But otherwise, they bring back everyone from a defense that wasn't that bad last season. Purdue, middle of the road in the Big Ten in rushing yards allowed per game, had a pretty – they were third in the Big Ten in passing yards allowed per game and were actually fifth in the Big Ten yards allowed per game, scoring uh, – right there in the middle of the pack uh, between Iowa and Ohio State. One thing that Jeff Brom's teams have been really good at on the defensive side of the ball over the years is they're a, an aggressive bunch. Uh, they have always really tried to uh, really tried to go for havoc plays. Uh a, a really, na again, nasty and physical defense. I know they are replacing uh, their defensive coordinator uh, with a guy by the name of David Elsden. He's going, I believe he's coming in as a team's defensive coordinator. You'll hear a little bit more of that with Nick and Grant next, uh, you know, a little bit after this. But I think if you're Penn State, this is a really good way, you know, kind of like I think how the Wisconsin game last year forced them to uh, – be ready quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I think last year going into Camp Randall, obviously Wisconsin learned right before the game they weren't going to have their probably their best player and linebacker, Leo Chennault. But 
Penn State had to get ready quickly. They had to have their stuff right from have their best stuff right from the jump because of where they were going. I obviously this Purdue defense is not as good as Wisconsin's defense last year, but it is still one with a you know impact players on that side of the football. They have a linebacker in Kieran Douglas, who is a really talented uh and athletic linebacker Kydron Jenkins led the team with five sacks last season. Cam Allen is a really talented safety and they have a cornerback in Jamari Brown, who I think is going to be a really interesting test as he is 6'3", 205 pounds, a really big physical solid dude. So I want to see if Penn State's going to be able to come out again, like they did last year against Wisconsin. Well, you know, I actually, I'll, I'll amend that a bit where, Against Wisconsin, they were just thrown right into the fire, and they got mm-hmm. burnt a little bit early on, but they did eventually start to figure some things out. Let's move to the other side of the ball, Craig. This is Jeff Brown's specialty. When Purdue has the ball, what are you keeping an eye on? It's so interesting because, you know, Penn State, we, we talk about this depth at defensive line, a lot of guys that have experience. We talk about how ridiculous the secondary can be, cornerback and safety just – Athletes everywhere. A lot of questions at linebacker. We do have to remember that Penn State lost seven of its top 10 tacklers from a year ago. Um, So there's opportunity all over the field, but we know that PJ's back in the middle, right? I'm interested to see the kind of production that we get out of the defensive ends because I feel like defensive tackle is just known quantities. We know that the second string have a ton of experience in Izzard and uh, um, Devon, Devon Ellis. So can those ends get to the quarterback? Because Aiden O'Connell will pick you apart, deep balls, intermediate routes. He has a great arm, um, but he's not the most mobile guy. If you go to their 2021 stats uh, rushing, which is going to be accounting for most of our sacks, <sighs> you know, he had, negative 120 rushing yards um so he got you know he doesn't run right so need to keep him in the pocket and get after it and then see if the secondary can hold up i'm just not sure about the linebackers you know they are replacing a lot of dudes but i feel like there's a lot of talent so i'm interested to see what those Mm -hmm. defensive ends can do to really set the tone um in west lafayette well the thing with me and Purdue's going up against this Purdue uh, offense is yes, O'Connell is a really nice quarterback. He ended up winning uh, their starting quarterback job uh, last season. He actually didn't go into the year as the starter. Jack Plummer was the starter, uh, but he kind of wrested it away from him. 3,700 yards, 72% completion, 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. A, a, a very productive player and someone who really seems to understand what he needs to do in Purdue's offense The interesting thing about Purdue to me is, one, last year they could not run the ball at all. For how bad Penn State's rushing offense was last year, Penn State was second to last in the Big Ten with 107.8 yards uh, rushing yards per game. Purdue somehow had 23 fewer yards per game. They could not run the ball to save their lives. And they're bringing back King Daraway, who has played a ton of football 
for them. If memory serves, he was the running back in that famous game where they kicked the hell out of number two Ohio State uh, with Rondale Moore a few years ago. 3.9 yards per carry and two touchdowns there. Xander Horvath, their fullback, 3.5 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Dylan Downing, uh, another guy who played running back for uh, Horvath since moved on to the NFL, but still, still that yards per carry is a basically what happens up and down this roster downing four yards per carry one touchdown they are not a team that runs the football effectively really at all the other thing with them is their top three pass catchers are all gone david bell uh was a marvel last year 93 receptions nearly 1300 yards six touchdowns he is on the cleveland browns milton wright not with the team jackson anthrop not gone so they have to go with Payne Durham a really talented tight end 467 yards six touchdowns last year their number one receiver they're bringing back is Brock Thompson who's a good player missed some practice time during uh the offseason he has surgery to have rods inserted into each shin in the offseason uh it's all about health with him and then they're relying very heavily on Tyrone Tracy a uh transfer coming in from Iowa uh basically hoping that he his 15 catches and 106 yards and one touchdowns were a function of playing for Iowa. So for me, I think this Purdue offense is dangerous. I think their scheme is very good. I think their quarterback is very good. But they're coming into this game looking for answers, and they're going to need to look for answers, namely in the passing game. They know what they have in the running game, and it's a matter of getting that cookie. But in the passing game, they need to find guys to catch the football. And they are doing that against what is, to a man, probably the strongest unit on Penn State's defense in the secondary. And that's really where a lot of my confidence in this game comes from. I think Purdue, especially on a home field that should be absolutely rocking, could could put up some numbers in the passing game. But... I just think Penn State's secondary going up against a generally unproven receiving core is something that, you know, it's the thing that I'm going to be keeping an eye on the most as we, uh, you know, as this game happens. But neither of us are experts on Purdue football. Instead, Nick went out and found an expert on Purdue football, Grant Tribbett of Big Time Boiler. We're going to get out of the way. Next thing that you're going to hear is Nick talking to Grant. Nick take it away all right hello everyone this is nick Pollock of roar lions roar of course you know me but you probably do not know mr grant tribbett of big game boiler i just did a preview for this penn state purdue game over there on his website with him um i guess that was last week uh now he's returning the favor come over here and gonna tell us a little bit about purdue so first grant you want to go ahead and say what's up and plug your site for us plug your youtube channel that is yeah, what's going on, guys? Happy to be here, Nick. Uh, just just started a, actually started a YouTube channel many years ago, just as a highlight uh, kind of thing back in the day. But uh, here recently, noticed that there wasn't uh, much Purdue representation out there, so decided to make just a YouTube channel at uh, the Big Time Boiler. And uh, yeah, just kind of made a few reaction videos, and I know you and I just made one, and it's, it's doing pretty well right now. I think it's almost up to 3,000 views, so awesome. not too shabby. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. You know, we we were talking, um, you know, every every time we were planning kind of game week content, we always think, you know, who can we have on from the opposing school to 
tell us about what's going on. We realized we didn't really know any Purdue people. So really happy to have you on and kind of have you join our rotation of uh, team specialists. So, so as it may be, Um, so, you know, I think just the first question I have for you is, you know, Purdue has been a team over the last, you know, however many years since Brom got there where they've obviously had these, you know, incredible moments of brilliance, you know, especially, you know, you don't want to be a number two team coming into Purdue. Like you just, you don't want that. Like we've seen them do some pretty amazing and special things. We've seen them have some truly, truly standout players. So I just kind of want to get your sense is what's just the general pulse of the fan base right now. Like are fans generally happy with the direction things are going? Is there, you know, some sort of sense that things could be better and they're not just what's the general, you know, where's the fan base at right now? Well, honestly, I think as, as the Purdue fan base is pretty static. Um, I mean, historically, this is a 500 program. Um, you know, we were doing pretty good in Joe Tiller years, and I think some of the fan base got a little uh, spoiled. <laughs> and they soon realized uh, how bad it can be with Daryl Hazel and uh, Danny Hope. So uh, I think also, you know, true Purdue fans know, uh, at least the diehards, and I think you know, your basic Purdue fan realizes what a mess Jeff Brom inherited. And there was, um, you know, publications the last couple of years that had Jeff Brom on the hot seat, which was an absolute joke, uh, you know, knowing what Brom inherited and, and knowing kind of actually we've had kind of the opposite of what you guys had in 21 and 20 we had in 19 and 20 with the injuries and then COVID being COVID and all that craziness. Yeah. But uh, no, I, the Purdue fan base is, is very excited. We're super happy to have Jeff Brom. Hope we can keep him. And uh, we all believe that he's, he's doing the things the right way and he's, he's built this program up the right way and, has the depth now that he hasn't had in the past. I think a lot of fans, I know it's something that as on the outside looking and we're kind of surprised, honestly, that the Jeff Brom's still there, like no knock on Purdue. Like it, it seems like a well run and you know, it seems like a fun program to be a part of, but it seemed like he was kind of on the fast track to hop up to, you know, a really premier job. I'm, are you guys surprised that he's still there? Uh, a little bit, you know, Louisville is always kind of, well, Jeff Brom, he kind of beats to, uh, you know, his own drum a little bit. He kind of sure. likes the, uh, I don't know, different unique atmospheres, but Louisville was obviously the player that was, uh, that always loomed large, you know, them being basically the, the Brom family being first sons of Louisville. And, uh, it just so happened what that, that job opened up, um, right away. No, sorry. Year two. You know, right after year two, he completed and Louisville opened up with Paterno. And uh, <laughs> I think most of us thought, you know, he was good. At, you know, he was gone, but uh, he, he surprised us kind of all and, you know, turned it down and he's a loyal guy. And, you know, right now it, it's it's somewhat surprising, but, but not really. You know, Purdue's a, isn't like basketball. Purdue's a pretty sneaky, good school. The expectations aren't exactly sky high, you know, kind of with Joe Tiller. There's no reason why Purdue can't be a, a Wisconsin type program if they Sure. Uh, or Minnesota or someone like that, if they continue to, to do well. And again, you're not going to get fired for going, you know, eight and four every year. Like maybe you would some other places. <laughs> yeah, totally. Kelly, you go, you, you go eight and four every year. We might build you a statue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I think, I, I think other big 10 West teams would probably disagree, but as a team, you know, Penn state only plays Purdue every once in a while. I personally, I love that Jeff Brom is at Purdue and I love what he's done just because it's so different from what at least the rest of the Big Ten West does. Like they're not this get 
a thousand pounds of linemen on the line and just run straight at you. Like they do stuff, they do different stuff, and it's just so much more interesting to watch. I I adore what Jeff Brom has done at Purdue. It's been really fun to watch, and I imagine that's been equally as fun for you. Oh yeah, especially coming again, coming off the Hazel Airs, uh, wasn't hard. <laughs> to, but you know, yeah. he's he's he brings an excellent uh, brand of football and one that us Purdue fans, especially myself, you know, grew up watching with Drew Brees and Kyle Orton and the Joe Tiller year, basketball and grass. So he kind of returned it to our roots. So we're loving it, no question. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm sure you are. Um, so as we look towards this year's team specifically, um, I want to focus on the offense first. You know, elephant in the room, no more David Bell. Bummer for you. Very thankful on my side that David Bell is not there anymore. Um, so, you know, obviously with him gone, what is, you know, what's the offense looking like going into the season? Obviously, Aiden O'Connell, stud, uh, maybe the second best quarterback in the conference after CJ Stroud. Um, but, you know, where's where's the kind of feeling and the where's the confidence level on the offense right now? Well, I think the confidence level is actually pretty high. And if, you know, your viewers and, you know, Penn State, fan, Penn State fans in general want a good preview of what, you know, this Purdue team looks like, really, they can just go to YouTube and watch the uh, Music City Bowl against Tennessee. I mean, honestly, that that Purdue team that played against Tennessee pretty much is returning, I think, uh, I think 18 starters, something like that. And that mm-hmm. was that game was played with wow. no David Bell or Milton Wright, who was supposed to be the heir apparent to David Bell, who was actively ineligible who was ineligible for that bowl game. So the only receiver really that stepped up in that game that we didn't have is, uh, is, uh, Jackson Anthrop. But, uh, and mm-hmm. what I think O'Connell went through for uh four fifty five and five touchdowns. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, this offense is built to receive. And honestly, we've been doing this for every year since Jeff Brom's been here, even with some, you know, I don't want to say bums, but some lower, uh, talented players out there, you know, this system's made them look good. And I, I kind of said this on another video and it, it kind of going to sound ridiculous, but, when you have a, a good system, kind of like a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady, you know, sometimes those quarterbacks make the receivers. And in this offense with a quarterback like O'Connell, that's extremely accurate. And only, you know, he's way not even close to Brady or, or Brees, but he's accurate like a Brady or Brees. Sure. When you have a quarterback that can put the ball exactly where it needs to be, sometimes, you know, you can have a Julian Edelman or, or, or Amendola that would be terrible on some other team, look like an absolute stud in your system. So I think we kind of have that going on here. Um, with some of these receivers. That's why there's hope. Uh, obviously, Brock Thompson, who had 200 yards in the bowl game, is back. And that was on two bad legs, which he had off-season surgery for. He should be good to go. We brought in some um, Iowa talented receivers that Iowa didn't know how to use in that system who appear to be blowing people away in camp. So that should be interesting. Iowa <laughs> not knowing how to use receivers? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with Charlie Jones and uh, Tracy, but there and and Purdue's actually recruited very well at their wide receiver position. There's been a ton of depth there. I think there's like legitimately ten or eleven guys that are very good players that can step up. So it just there's obviously a lot of question marks. Um, you know what this passing game is going to be, but you know the most important thing is to have an accurate quarterback and a good quarterback, and we have that at least checked off the boxes and and players. So uh, looking to see how that all kind of molds. I think I alluded to you. You know, obviously. Penn State strength seems to be the secondary, so I'm not exactly thrilled. This is our first test, you know, getting all those guys together in the same on the on the field together. But uh, hey, at least it's at our place, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I guess you were asking about the offense in general, right? Not just the passing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, riff away. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then we got you know the running game, which has obviously been our struggle, uh, which is a little bit skewed because Purdue honestly doesn't like to, you know, they don't want to run the ball, but uh, they need. 
they've needed to in the past and been unable to do it when, you know, trying to get some leads and extending leads and stuff like that and trying to get out the game. But uh, I don't know if you hear my kids or not for you on that side. But, uh, sorry hey, about that. Know, anyway, school's, school's starting everywhere. There's children in chaos all over the place. You know, it's fine. Yeah, this is the first video in the home office as well. Uh, usually I'm on the road. It looks but, good, uh, though. Anyway, back to the offense. Um, so, yeah, obviously O'Connell, you know, he he is the offense. Running back should be improved with the offensive line back. Four starters returning from the bowl game. Um, offensive line is, again, looking to be good. Um, much better than it was the last couple of years. They had a pretty good, stinky good year last year, though, as well. But Running back, you got King Daru back there. He's he's a, he is what it is. He's a decent back, probably lower lower level Big Ten, if we're being honest. But they got some decent backups. So, you know, we're we're not trying to run for two hundred yards a game. You know, if Purdue if Purdue can get over a hundred yards rushing, I, I hard to see Purdue losing with that offensive hmm. passing attack. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's. I I think I I'm glad that you again mentioned the the maybe uneasiness on your side of knowing that you have to go against Penn State secondary in the first week. And, it, you know, I as a Penn State fan, you're right, it gives me comfort knowing that our strength is probably the thing that matches up against your strength. But it's also like, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Like Aiden O'Connell, I, I truly do believe Aiden O'Connell is the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. And even if Penn State secondary does perform as well as we're expecting it to, there's only so much you can do against elite signal callers who have elite level accuracy. Like I'd much rather face a dude with a big arm that, you know, is only completing 50% of his passes than somebody who's, you know, maybe not going to do too much field stretching, but you know, on third and six, he's going to hit his target in the chest and he's not going to let a little, a ball bounce away into a a defensive backs hand. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch those two units match up and, it's it's a little unnerving as a Penn State fan knowing that we're going to have to go against that in week one. Uh, so flipping over the defensive side now, similar to David Bell, you lose the big horse in George Karlaftis, who is just an absolute, absolute monster. Um, as a Seahawks fan, I was really hoping they were going to take him. Unfortunately, they did not. But, you know, win some, you lose some. Um, but where's, you know, same question. Where's the defense at going into 2022? Defense looking pretty good. You know, they returned most of their starters. I mean, George obviously is a huge loss. You know, a guy you're not going to replace from a, you know, a one, one versus one, you know, kind of replacement. It's not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to get that production. But, you know, if, if you ask the trivia question, who was Purdue's leading sack leader, you know, last year, I guarantee you, you know, non Purdue fans or even Purdue fans alike would 95% would get it wrong. It was not George Karoftis. Uh, it was Kaiser Jenkins who's coming back, who who was helpful, you know, with George getting double team and all that. But that's what they're going to miss the most. They're going to miss George drawing the complete attention of the defense. Um, the good news is they have some studs on the D line um, who, who are improving every year, and they got a great D line coach. Um, for the first time in my memory, Peru can go two or three deep um, on the defensive line. Um, they have a great D tackle in Branson Dean, very solid partner in um, uh, Johnson, Lauren Johnson. Uh, ends, you know, they, they're kind of relying on, again, Jenkins will be back. Some, a lot of other ends like Scotty Humphrey to transfer, um, to come in, step up, kind of take George's place, but they're going to do it by committee. Uh, we do have a stud freshman that just came in, Nick Carraway that absolutely blew up towards the end of the, uh, the, the ranking, ranking cycle, excuse me, where he just came out of nowhere to be a four star and at the under all American game and was 
turning heads left and right. So he's wearing number five. So we're hoping maybe he can get some uh, George Karloftis magic, but he'll probably be like a third down pass specialist. Uh, we'll see there. But other you know linebacker Jalen Graham, who's a, a listed sometimes as a safety, listed sometimes as a linebacker, depending on where you look at it. But really, you know Purdue kind of runs this weird four two five, but really it's it's like a four three. Uh, he, he's just a weak side linebacker, but he'll, he can also drop in a nickel if he needs to. But he's an absolute stud. He's probably one of the best defensive players in the, in the Big Ten, if we're being honest. Um, just a freak athlete, for, freak athlete, former quarterback, runs insanely fast. He's one of those guys that probably going to go to the combine next year and absolutely just blow people away with his numbers. Um, he kind of reminds me of the guy from Michigan that used to be a linebacker that was all over the field, and I can't remember his name. Trying me nuts. Oh, might... uh, Khalid Hudson. Yeah, maybe, yeah. So, yeah, it could be it, but he's kind of one of those freaky hybrid linebackers. But linebacker looks to be pretty solid. Uh, they got a six-year and a seventh-year guy back there in uh, Douglas. And Fess, I'm going to say his name wrong. Let's just call him Simi. Fessasaki is his name <laughs> from uh, from Cali. But uh, he was injured last year. He came back. So very, very old, mature group back there. Uh, secondary should be pretty solid as long as those guys can stay healthy. They've been a little banged up. Corey Trice, who's an NFL-type corner, was hurt all last year pretty much. He's supposed to be back to 100% for this game. Jabari Brown, another solid, uh, good-sized corner, too. I think Trice is at 6'3", and, and Brown's like six foot one. So, And some pretty good safeties in uh, Jefferson and uh, Cam Allen, who led the team in the interception. So overall... This defense, uh, again, a top sneaky top 35 defense last year, a good scoring defense. We do replace our defensive coordinator, but we had three coordinators last year. It was kind of different, but we do lose our play caller who went to uh, Wake Forest. But it uh, should be the same system. Jeff Brom really put his, his fingerprints on this defense after he fired the disaster. That was Bob Diaco. Um, he got more involved <laughs> in the defense. And, uh, yeah, that was terrible. To go with COVID, it did not go well. But uh, so I, I should not. Uh, pretty much will be the same defensive run as last year. Just might be some wrinkles with play calling, obviously, since it's a different play caller. But overall, again, pretty. I think an above average unit, and that's all they need to be, really. You know, if they can be an above average defense with that offense, is considering if they can, you know, take the step and, and be as good or close to what they were last year. All you need is above average defense, and, and you should be pretty good. Yeah, totally. It sounds to me like you are feeling pretty good about this upcoming season overall. Is that, that fair? Very fair. Um, very fair. I mean, this upcoming season, you know, obviously this, this honestly, this Penn state game might be the toughest game of the year. If we compete, the, if we beat Penn state on Thursday, which for we very well could, but we also could very well lose to it. You know, I see no reason why Purdue with that schedule can't win you know, nine to 10 games and get to Indy. Probably we need 10 wins to get to Indy. But if this is the year, you know, this, or if they're going to have, if it's, if it's going to happen, this needs to be the year, <laughs> especially with all probably the incoming changes and everything else. But this schedule, this is basically is the exact same schedule that Iowa had last year. Um, not considering non-conference, but we have a very, very weak non-conference. We got to go to Syracuse. It's not terrible. Uh, it's in a dome, which is for our offense was, you know, it's perfect. Um, but you know, we play Maryland, we play IU and then we, you know, we play you. So same, same three crossovers they had last year too. And they won 10 games. And in my opinion, this is much, you know, a better Purdue team than Iowa had last year with that putrid offense, but, um, not quite the defense, you know, they have, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good with this team. Again, I think a lot's, uh, and it's not going to be the end of the world. You know, if we, if we do lose to you, I still think it's going to be a pretty decent year for Purdue standards, you know, an eight to nine win season still on the table. 
I'm curious, you know, as like we talked about before briefly, how just how different Purdue is from the other teams on that side of the conference and really arguably from every team in the conference. I mean, I guess they're not totally dissimilar from like Maryland's play style offensively, maybe somewhat similar to Ohio State. Just, I mean, both teams, all teams like to air it out a lot. I'm mm-hmm. curious, does that just knowing that there is nobody else in the West that's really like Purdue? Is it, you know, is it a comfort knowing that? Or is it, you know, kind of like going into every season, do you kind of worry about just the body blow after body blow of facing basically five carbon copy teams of each other every single year in Wisconsin? I mean, they're all doing the same thing. It's, I'm just curious if, if that's, if it's enjoyable knowing that you're kind of the, the unicorn of the group or does it get tiresome at times? No, I like it. You know, I like passing the ball, and uh, it's kind of, it's kind of. Why I think the defense is improving too. And Jeff Prime again has his handprints on it. I think they realize they know what they have to do, and uh, they've been recruiting the hell out of the DL, you know, the defensive line. <laughs> and they're like, oh, guys, all we got to do is stop the run, basically, make these guys pass against us, and then have an offense that they're not used to seeing every week. And I think the recipe for success, success there is pretty good. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if Jeff Brom can sustain it, but that's how he's recruiting to it right now. So I like it again. I, yeah, I think we're kind of that, uh, very, very poor man's Ohio state, uh, and a, I guess maybe a better version of Maryland as far as, you know, teams like to dish it out and, uh, don't like, you know, not trying to run the ball down his throat through throats. But, uh, I know Jeff Brom does, you know, at least he alludes to, and, you know, his press conferences and, and his, his talks that, you know, he wants to be a little more balanced, which needs to happen, but. And that's how his teams were at West, Western Kentucky, too. So if we can get that, you know, a little bit more balance um, running the ball and able to run the ball with this high-level passing attack, I think that's ultimately going to be the best. But, yeah, hopefully, which I don't think is going to be the case, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're uh, we're an air-it-out air raid team, if you will, rather than a uh, Minnesota or Northwestern, just pound it and uh, throw the ball three yards out every time. Sure. It'll drive me nuts on, yeah. on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for the important question. Then, what's your prediction for Thursday's game? I almost said Saturday's game. I still, it's not registering my brain that it's on Thursday yet. But what's what's your official prediction for the game? Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I really do. Um, you know, it's fun. Been fun seeing some of your Penn State sites, seeing the predictions. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of overconfident takes there. I think, but I mean, you guys are the. You know, your Penn State, I think, probably do have a little more talent. I think, though, people are underestimating the talent Purdue actually has just through uh, the recruiting. They, you know, they got two top 25 recruiting classes a few years ago, which those guys are now, you know, juniors and seniors. Um, they brought in some quality. They've been bringing in quality uh, grad transfers and uh, not just grad transfers, excuse me, transfer portal additions the last couple of years, too. So they, they've got a pretty sneaky, uh, sneaky good team. And again, if you really want to watch them, go check out that Tennessee Music City Bowl, and that's kind of what you're getting with some upgrades. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, if this game was at Penn State, I would be very hard-pressed to pick Purdue. You know, I, I'd probably pick Penn State by at least a touchdown. But being that it's on a Thursday night, first game of the year, a lot of these, you know, both teams have some question marks. Um, I, I just got to give the edge to Purdue being at home. And I think with this passing attack and I think their defense is good enough to give Penn state some issues, at least early on. Um, I, I got Purdue by three points, like, I don't know, 27, 30, I think is what I said, but again, nothing in this game would surprise me. I would be surprised if, uh, you know, if either team blew each other out and, you know, I think Penn state probably would have 
the opportunity to do that more than we would. But uh, yeah, I think it should be a pretty close game. And uh, honestly, it's, it's almost a coin flip game in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. It's, I, I guess the fact that it's the first game of the year gives me a little more comfort than if like if this was like a week three Thursday or Friday game, I would be truly terrified. But the fact that it's week one and knowing that everybody had the same amount of time to prepare for it and it's, you know, it, it maybe feels off schedule, but you've known about it for a while. It may, gives me a little more comfort as a Penn State fan going into what, you know, is a, like you meant, it's going to be a really difficult road game. It is not the game I would choose to start the season for sure. Like it's not a comfortable situation. I'll tell you one thing I think it's going to loom large in this game too, is special teams play. I really do. And that's one advantage Purdue also has too, is we return, you know, our punter who was not very good last year, but he was coming from Australia. And I think he got better as the year went on. I think he should be decent. And our field goal kicker, it's very good. And then we also obviously get Charlie Jones, the return of the year last year. So special teams, yeah. you know, for Purdue is looking pretty good. I think, you know, four starters, if you will. And we also return the holder and the long snapper. So, uh, you know, that, that could loom large as well. I don't know. I think Penn state has a few questions there too. So it's, it's, it's question marks abound, you know, both places. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good game. I think. Yeah. Before we get out of here, I do have to unfortunately share the news. I know when I was on your podcast, I was telling you about our six, six punter, uh, Gabe, Gabe Wosu, (laughs) unfortunately did not win the job. Barney Amor will be punting instead. So we will probably not get to see him on the field. I was, yeah, I was very disappointed here. Uh, James say that in his press conference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, maybe he'll get on Maybe, maybe they'll do a little, week one type thing where they alternate back and forth still who knows um but hey grant really appreciate you hopping on here giving us the inside scoop on purdue um like i said we'll definitely we'll definitely have you back whether it be this season hopefully before in uh, a big 10 championship preview but if not then definitely year after and yeah definitely year after and you know in the years years ahead so really appreciate it thanks for coming on yeah man much appreciate it thank you All right. Thank you, Nick, for that. And thank you, Grant, for taking some time uh, to give Penn State fans a little bit more of a glimpse into what we can expect out of the Boilermakers this season and in this game. Craig, I think it is time that you and me pick some winners in this one. Penn State. Yeah, buddy. Thursday night, 8 p.m. kick at Ross-Ade Stadium in West Lafayette. Game is on Fox. Our friends out in the desert think Penn State is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite uh, ESPN's FPI has it about 60-40 that Penn State wins. We're uh, recording this before Bill Connolly puts out his SP Plus projection, so we are not going to be able to have that. But looking at this right here, spread of three and a half, over under of 53.5. I, I, it, I'm really bad at math. I shouldn't be doing this on the fly. I think that assumes something like uh no let's see 29 to no 28 to 25 something in that area for Penn State how does that sound what do you think about that line what do you think is going to happen in this game and who are the Penn State players who you think are going to or what are the matchups Penn State versus Purdue that you think are going to decide this one okay so first of all I think Penn State's going to win I think Penn State is going to cover I think it's going to hit the over. I think the matchups that are most critical when Purdue has the ball, got to cover the tight end. 
because I don't just not to be remiss. I want to say that they're starting two transfers from Iowa. Charlie Jones return specialist for Iowa who also had like 300 some yards receiving last year. Um, like you said, there's just not a lot that scares you with the Purdue wideouts. But again, they're Brome wideouts. They're going to be ready to play. I just don't know that the level is up to, you know, the talent that Penn State has in the secondary. I'm very interested to see us see Penn State be able to either stay in a base or go to nickel and not have to bring in a sixth cornerback um, to cover these guys and give Purdue a glimmer of hope in the run game. Um, and then on the other side, I really want to see a freshman running back um, break something 20, 30 yards just to give them a taste of college football, get this offense moving, make it more than Clifford to Parker Washington. Um, it, you know, we had situations last year when it felt like if Jahan Dotson wasn't on the field or didn't get open, that there was no hope for Penn State to pick up a, a crit- crucial third or fourth down. Um, and I'm really hoping that we can get some some new uh, options in the in those types of critical moments available. So good news. Uh, last time Purdue. Uh, from what I could tell was a three and a half. Well, yeah, last time Purdue, actually last time Purdue was a home dog, they uh, beat the hell out of Michigan State 40 to 29. So not cool, but they were uh, also a three and a half point home dog against Wisconsin last year and lost 30 to 13. Here's the real not fun one. The last time Penn State was a road favorite uh, last year against Michigan State, they by the exact same spread, three and a half points, of course, lost that game. 30 to 27, but, uh, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm not going to, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. So I think Penn state is going to win this game. I'm inclined to say the under hits. Uh, I, it's basically just comes down to the fact that you think about early season college football games. It's very rare that teams are up and humming right from the jump. So, I think I do I do like Penn State to cover, but I like them covering by something like 27-21, okay. something in that ballpark. And when I think of who's going to decide this game, you know, it, it's very reductive to just say the quarterback battle, but I think Sean Clifford has to be able to go into this game. And you look at Penn State's offense. Offensive line, brand new left tackle, the center was playing guard last year, you know, got a little bit of run at center. The right guard didn't play at all last season. The running backs either disappointed or weren't with the team last year. The wide receivers, it is a guy who is new for all intents and purposes. It's a guy who is new in the program uh, in Mitchell Tinsley and then two guys in Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith who are going to be taking on bigger roles. And the tight ends are a bunch of guys who, you know, came into last year with a ton of hype. But, this, you know, to say, say it frankly, they disappointed last year. So when you look at that, I think the one guy that they have to lean on, not just for his performance, but for his ability to just kind of look at everyone, tell them, you know, guys, take that extra deep breath, stay composed. My understanding of the offense is going to help us against a really tricky Purdue defense is going to be Sean Clifford. 
And then you look at the other side for Purdue, what we've mentioned of a lot of new pass catchers coming in, a new, uh, you know, a running game that was not particularly good last year. They're going to need Aiden O'Connell to win them this football game. And I think if Sean Clifford is able to keep Penn State's offense, you know, calm, composed, settle down, if he doesn't get sped up, which has been a constant concern of mine with him, if he's able to just be, you know, calm, relaxed, He's not throwing the ball a little bit quicker than he's normally supposed to. He's not taking off a little bit quicker than he's supposed to. I think Penn State wins this game. I think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, give me Nittany Lions something like 27 to 21. Uh, Craig, I think it's time to end this episode of the podcast. Are there any final things you want to say? Uh, whether it's about Penn State, whether it's about any other, Purdue, any other team in the Big Ten, just anything. Ain't got anything you want to get off your chest right now. You know, just looking at this depth chart, um, Purdue on defense, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, redshirt sophomore, transfer, transfer. These are grad transfers, senior, 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 grad transfer, senior transfer. So there's a lot of experience there. Um, and then it, it'll just be interesting to see, does that matter? Guys that have played a lot of football, but are they are they ready to face the beast that will be Sean Clifford and uh, the Nittany Lions? So, you know, um, I have a tendency to talk in monotone, but my brother, I am hyped for Thursday. I am ready to roll. Let's get this show on the road. Uh, we got my YouTube TV 4K package coming in hot. So uh, it is going to be in 4K, just so everyone knows. I uh, I did check that out. So let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I really could not be more excited for what's going to happen. If you are uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and you are going to be, you would like to watch this football game with myself and a uh, an Ohio Bobcat, let me know. Uh, you, you, you will, you will get to see me at my absolute worst. Uh, only other thing I want to say is that, uh, there is currently nothing on the board right now, but if odds are put out there for North Dakota against Nebraska, hammer, <laughs> hammer the fighting Hawks to cover over that clown shoes football team <laughs> in Lincoln. And, uh, I, I, I can't think of another better way to end this podcast than by slandering the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roars. Always make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get your podcasts. And if you're going on something like Apple podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. And one last time, I want to thank Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this edition of the pod. For first-time customers, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Craig Fritz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.